So before we move ahead into Mary's song, let's look back for just a moment at what is behind it. The angel Gabriel visited Mary, told her she would bear the Son of God. He also told her about her relative Elizabeth, who had been barren by God's power, had conceived in her old age. So Mary went to see Elizabeth and confirmed that this great thing had happened. And as they visited, the scripture tells us, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she spoke over Mary, and she declared Mary to be blessed. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken by the Lord. Elizabeth confirms for Mary that, in fact, this is not all just a dream, that Mary is a recipient of God's favor. And Mary understands that, though undeserving through any merit of her own, she is nonetheless chosen to be an object of his grace. And that reality moves her to sing. You know, the realization of blessedness leads to praise. The realization of blessedness leads to praise, not just for Mary, but for all of us. If we know we are blessed by God, we have to praise him. And if we are having trouble praising him, it could be we have lost sight of our blessed estate. Think back to our study in the book of Exodus, how God wonderfully, supernaturally, miraculously uh, delivered the people that he had chosen out of the hand of Pharaoh, out of the bondage of slavery, out of the depths of real depravity. God saved them with his mighty arm. God delivered them through the sea. He delivered his people. And what did Moses and the people do when they hit the other shore? They sang a song of praise. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. This is Exodus 15, 1 and 2. And he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. So that's Exodus 15, verses 1 and 2. But now you turn the page, and if you're reading, you might not even have to turn the page because just a, a few verses down in just three days from this celebration as the people journeyed in the wilderness, they had no water. And what, be, what happened? They began to grumble. They began to complain. They went from praise to complaining in the blink of an eye. The Israelites quickly lost sight of their blessedness. And the praise of God, who's worthy of praise, always dried up like the springs in their wilderness. Friend, blessedness results in praise. Praise flows from one's awareness of blessing. So if you're having trouble praising God today, if you're having trouble praying to God, if you're having trouble finding satisfaction in God, then just take some time to reflect on how blessed, how blessed you are. To be blessed the way that Luke uses the word, same word used to record the words of Jesus in the Beatitudes, remember that? Blessed are, blessed are. It's a way to be happy that's not contingent on circumstances. It's not about contentedness because of material things or security because all is well in your life. To be blessed in this way is to be fully satisfied, completely satisfied, 
regardless of the situation. And on earth, that is only possible through faith. Mary is blessed, Elizabeth says, because she believed. She believed in the fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken to her because she trusts God and she believes fully in what he has said and what he will do. And theologian Adam Clark puts it rather succinctly here in his commentary on this scene. He says, faith is here represented as the true foundation of happiness. Faith is the true foundation of happiness. So if it's happiness you're looking for, it's faith in God that you need to find. Mary's song begins in a familiar way, at least for those acquainted with the songs and with uh, Hannah's prayer found in 1 Samuel chapter 2. You see, Mary's praise is grounded in Scripture. The word of God in her is the word of God that comes out of her when she sings praise. And how must God delight to hear the truth of his word come from the lips of his chosen ones in prayer and praise. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. My soul magnifies the Lord. What does it mean to magnify the Lord? Is there any sense here that Mary's going to make God larger? Or that she's going to somehow make him greater than he already is? That is not what it means. But from the depths of her being, from her heart of hearts, she intends to make much of him. She intends to put the spotlight on him. She is uh, pointing the telescope of her heart heavenward to see universe after universe after universe of the infinite depth of God's beauty. With everything she is, with everything she has, with soul and spirit, Mary praises God. This is what you and I would call pure praise. It is not manufactured. It is, it is not something created for any end other than itself. It is pure praise from the heart. God has Mary's complete attention and adoration. So what is she so happy about? Well... Early on, we see that Mary praises God because she's chosen her. He has looked on her lowly estate. Think about that. You've read that a lot, I'm sure, in your lifetime. But God looked on Mary. And when you understand that God is omniscient, that he sees everything, maybe that doesn't sound so remarkable, since in a way he looks at all things at all times. But that is not what Mary is rejoicing in. To say that God has looked on her is to say that he has kindly and especially considered her. He has given her special attention. And who is she, after all, that such an honor should come to her? That he who is mighty would do such great things for her? In terms of earthly wealth or notoriety, Mary is an obscure figure. But listen, God has put his good hand on her to carry out his eternal plan. And she can't help but sing. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. For years the church has sung a hymn of praise along these lines, based on Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. He's so good to me. Simply because of the grace of God on her, Mary will be called blessed by all generations. What an honor to be chosen of God this way. I wonder, Christian, if you feel similarly blessed today. I know you're not Mary. I know you don't figure prominently in the story of how God brought salvation to humanity. But I also know this. If you belong to Jesus, you have been chosen. And you have been handpicked by God. And in that way, we can have a sense of the gratitude Mary felt and the praise that followed. Jesus said to his disciples, John 15, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. C.J. Mahaney said it this way, We were acted upon by God before we ever responded to him. He writes, the fundamental explanation of our conversion was not that we were wiser or morally superior to others in choosing God, but that God chose to have mercy on us and intervened in our lives, revealing our need for his provision of the gospel. Our salvation is owed completely to the sovereign grace of God. And the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, put it like this, and I love, this is one of my favorite Spurgeon quotes I believe in the doctrine of election because I'm quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. Of all that moves you and I to praise the Almighty, friend, our salvation has to be on the top of the list, doesn't it? Remember when Jesus sent his disciples out to practice their kingdom ministry, sent them out two by two, gave them specific instructions, and also gave them authority to, to, to take, take on the ministry and to be successful in the ministry. And they returned to him, and they were overjoyed. Remember, they were overjoyed and ecstatic about all the power that they had over evil and over disease and power to cast out demons and to heal. And Jesus had given them all that authority. And, oh, they, they were, when they returned, how Steve Sisson would have described it, dancing in the end zone. <laughs> they were spiking a football. They had had a great run. Great things had happened. But what does Jesus tell them? Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice. If you are chosen of God, rejoice. Now let's quickly look at three characteristics of God that Mary's song of praise exalts. The first is this, God is holy. He has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God is holy. He is pure. He is blameless. He is just. He can do no wrong. There is nothing and no one like him anywhere. We noted earlier that Mary's song uh, contains echoes of Hannah's prayer, 1 Samuel chapter 2, where God answered her prayer for a child. And what did Hannah say? There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. 
There is no rock like our God. God is holy. And in a sermon on this text, R.C. Sproul noted, so often in our culture when people speak of God, they do so in meaningless terms. People will speak about a higher power or a force greater than themselves. There's hardly any difference between that kind of language and the language of an animist practitioner who bows down and worships an idol made of wood. Higher power? Force greater than yourself? What are you talking about? Gravity? Cosmic energy? Why do we do that? As long as we can depersonalize God, make him an impersonal force of vague, amorphous power, we have nothing to worry about. Impersonal forces will never hold you accountable for your behavior. You will never have to face the judgment of cosmic dust. But the God who is, is the God who has a name. He is not simply a power, though he has all power. He is he who is mighty, he who has done great things for me and holy is his name. Mary praises God because there is no one like him. He is holy. And also because he is merciful. God is merciful. Mary exults in the mercy of God, verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And this word that we translate mercy, it means compassion, kindness, goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted joined with a desire to help them. God is merciful. God grants mercy. That is, he frequently gives more or better than any of us deserve. Now, that's not a new trait of God that Mary adores, right? He is and always has been merciful. Deuteronomy 4.31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Second Chronicles 30, verse 9, For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. Psalm 116, verse 5, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Joel 2, verse 13, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. He relents over disaster. Hmm. God is merciful to Mary. As the psalmist puts it, not rewarding her according to her iniquities, but much more beyond anything she might be able to earn. And Mary rejoices in this mercy of God, not just for herself, but for any who would have it or who will taste it for themselves. You know, one of the signs of a humble soul is the ability to rejoice in the blessings of others. That's a humble soul. The humble soul rejoices with those who rejoice. The proud soul says, how come not me? How come I don't get the same thing? We make it all about ourselves, but Mary here is a humble soul. She makes it about others as well. Her lowly estate that God looks on is not really a measure of her assets or the cash that she has on hand. She may very well have been poor, we don't know, but it is her humble spirit. You know, the humble are the ones that God can work with, right? And the proud he opposes. Whenever we're counseling a proud person, we want them not to be prideful because God opposes the proud and you don't want him opposing you. 
The humble do not consider that they are owed anything, but they receive what they have with gratitude. So friend, when it comes to what any of us, when it comes to God, what do any of us deserve? In terms of our record, like our record in this world, how we have conducted ourselves, how we have behaved from beginning to end, what do any of us deserve? Speaking biblically, we do not deserve blessing. Speaking biblically, we don't even deserve a participation trophy. If we have a right view of ourselves, we know that we are sinners and that each of us has broken God's commands. And our sin deserves the punishment of death and condemnation and eternal separation from God. But God has planned a way to reconcile sinful humanity to himself, and it would involve sending his only son into the world to live the sinless life that we can't live, to die the sinner's death that we deserve, and to satisfy the just wrath of God for our sins by making atonement for them on the cross. Jesus died for our sin, was buried, and three days later rose from the grave, stamping paid in full on the bill of our transgressions. He overcame death that we might have everlasting life, and that is the promise of God to all who will believe in him. That, my friend, is mercy. That is mercy. That is God not treating us as our sins deserve, but giving us so much more so much better. And in Luke's record, Mary is not only grateful for the good that God has done and will do for her, but she rejoices that the mercy of God extends beyond herself and is available to all who will fear him, all who have and all who will revere him from generation to generation. And to this day, God continues, praise God, to call sinners to himself. Jesus did not come to call the righteous, did he? No, but sinners. He did not come to heal the well, but the sick. And so his invitation is to all who will hear. As the old hymn reminds us, there's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of a sea. There's a kindness in God's justice, which is more than liberty. There is welcome for the sinner and more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in his blood. How fitting for Mary to extol the mercy of God. The kindness that he has extended to her is great, but if you think about it, even greater is the kindness and compassion that he's bringing into the world that at the time of this singing, she is carrying in her womb. Mary is so glad that God is holy, that God is merciful. And finally, for this morning, that God is powerful, that God is able. He will bring to pass what he promises. He will, his purposes will not be thwarted, as we just remembered again and again, week to week, in the book of Ruth. Mary, in verse 51, says, He, God, has shown strength with his arm. Shown strength with his arm. It's hard to hear this attribution of God, not think of the Exodus story. Scripture uses anthropomorphic language, figurative language, to describe how God intervenes in our affairs and what he is capable of. It gives us the imagery of this arm of God, this strong arm of God, 
Deuteronomy 26, 8, And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. Exodus 15, 6, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Psalm 89, verses 8 to 10, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. And here in Mary's song, grounded in scripture, we find another reference to the strength of God's arm. And as one preacher has commented, and with this we will conclude, when she says the arm of the Lord has been stretched out and inter intervened in her life, what's she really talking about? The strength of the arm of God. She's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the strong arm of God in both judgment and in mercy. The strong arm of God raised for our salvation. Jesus is the strong arm of God. Father, give us hearts like Mary. Give us hearts like Mary where we sing your praise and adoration with all of our soul and all of our spirit. So easy for us, God, to be double-minded, to be multitasking, take our eyes off of you, to lose a sense of our truly blessed estate. So may the words that pass over our lips come from the depths of our being in gratitude for your holiness, for your mercy, for your power. We ask in Jesus' name.